This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. I do own Bitcoin. There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. Hello, my name's Tracy, and as always, I'm joined by my pals, Blake and Craig. Hey guys, how are you going? Pretty well, Trace. Thanks. G'day, Trace. Hey boys. So today we talk about one of the other hotly discussed topics in the crypto space that you may have heard about, and that's Web 3.0. Through blockchain technology, we can now prove digital ownership on the internet. And with things like DeFi and NFTs already breaking the mold, who knows what will come next? A lot of people are now theorising that the way that we all interact with the internet day to day is going to change significantly in the not so distant future. So what is Web 3.0 and how does it tie into the evolution of our current internet? Let's look at the first iterations being Web 1.0 and 2.0. Web 1 was really the first instance of the internet that started in 1991 or early 90s and lasted until about 2004. So this was when the internet was mostly a bunch of static pages, meaning that when you loaded them, they showed some information and that was about it. You can think of it like the first instance of the internet was read-only. There was no logging in. There was no interacting with posts. It was mostly where you could just look and if you wanted to email, you had to do it manually. Think of it like an online magazine and it was mostly just one big Wikipedia all hyperlinked together. Yeah, I've actually got a bit of a story from back then because in the late 90s, I was actually working for the Tourism Commission over here in Perth and part of my job was to travel around WA and talk to small tourism operators and let them know that you could actually have a website and show your your tourism company to people in the other parts uh, of the world. And what people on in the other side of the world would do is see what you had on offer and you could showcase, you know, whatever you were wanting to put out there. So, for example, they'd see your website and they'd say, wow, awesome, I'd like to go to Coral Bay, I'd like to do some whale shark diving and they'd see all your photos and they'd read about it. But then for them to interact with you as the operator, they'd then need to email you and that's the only way that they could then get in contact. Mm, were, were they sceptical when you were telling them about this? Yeah, absolutely. Back then, it was so hard. A lot of them would even say, look, we just don't believe in the internet. <laughs> that was seriously what I was getting at some point. It was, it was quite funny. Well, over, over time, you know, from, from Web 1.0, it, it um, underwent so many improvements from Flash to JavaScript, which allowed um, many other features and functionality to be built upon these web pages. And 
this made it look a lot better and made the user experience better, but still it was just web pages. And so users of the internet over this period of time were very much consumers and they went to the internet to consume information. Yeah, so let's look now at where it all started to get interesting, which was Web 2.0, which ran from about 2004 until now. And the web evolved a lot during this time. And one of the big changes was the interactivity on the internet. So companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, they all profited big time from Web 2.0. Yeah, the good thing about Web 2.0 is that we could connect with each other, we could talk. I mean, right now we're all in different parts of Australia, all doing a podcast, and that's become possible from... Hang on, hang on. Where's Blake? Blake's in America. Blake's in America, (laughs) and he's still in his... You know, we're still chatting to him. It's pretty crazy, but, you know, all of this came with a trade-off. You know, we can really say that Web 2.0 was the birth of targeted advertising, and this was the time that users lost their privacy, something that... You know, we gave away willingly and realized all too late what we lost. This meant that not only did we get information from web pages at that at this time, but the web pages started getting information from us. And this obviously meant more money for these companies. And eventually they realized that they could package up all this data that they collected from us and sell this to advertisers. Yeah. As we started to use these services like Google, Amazon and Facebook, they were all central companies and they were collecting data on us so that they could service better content but also sell our data to advertisers or, or help advertisers target us better particularly google and facebook they're free to use because they're farming our data and this was all in the hope that they could encourage us to stay within their ecosystems by providing us with better content. So essentially what we did without knowing it was give up our right to our privacy to use these services for free. And we were happy because it was convenient until, you know, stories like Cambridge Analytica started coming to the surface. But with this data, these these companies yielded incredible power over, you know, public opinion and and the narratives that um, people subscribe to. And, you know, it's very, very dangerous. And I think um, blockchain technology responds to this in some ways that we can get into. Yeah, and this is also a time where we realised that the way individuals were being marketed to was very targeted and very specific. So two people could look at Facebook and see two very different feeds and this depended on who was seeing the feed. So the content of the feed is the company sorting whose data was based on the information that you've already been giving them and, you know, it's all about machine learning. So one centralised company knowing all of your data is pretty scary and I think just kind of plain wrong i guess and that's sort of really the social media and the free to use parts of web 2.0 that you know went down this rabbit hole of losing privacy data farming but i mean web 2.0 has also come with some pretty cool advancements in technology like online payments and online shopping like now i can buy something from the us if i wanted to i could buy shoes and it'd be at my doorstep in about two weeks um, I can now use my online banking software where I can tap and go. I don't even need to bring my wallet anywhere anymore. Digital license. So, you know, Web 2.0 has come up with some crazy advancements and also in gaming. Like I can now play Call of Duty with friends all around the country and talk to them online. It's like hanging out virtually. So, you know, it does. it has come with its downfalls, but it's also come with some pretty awesome advancements. 
so just in summary there, you know, we, we've developed social networks, really great ways for information sharing, online shopping, knowledge sharing platforms like YouTube and banking and payment platforms to allow us to do commerce globally. And it all took about 15 to 20 years for this technology to, to fully mature. You know, all of these apps and all of these websites are all siloed. So, you know, you interact with YouTube and YouTube only, you interact with Call of Duty Call of Duty only. There's no real interconnected way to trade and to move from platform to platform, but we'll get into this in the next section. I think that's a good spot to take a break. When we get back, let's talk about Web 3.0. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So let's look at Web 3.0. This is the next evolution of the internet that will utilize blockchain technology and the tools of decentralization. In Web 2.0, we were the product as we were browsing social networks. But in Web 3.0, what some believe will happen is that we will take back the power and become the owner of content and data. Yeah, and this will happen in response to Web 2 um, because of the issues and the limitations of Web 2, particularly around centralization and Currently, you don't own your data or your digital identity. It's it's owned by these corporations. And there's very little transparency, which opens it up to breaking trust and, and corruption. With Web 3.0, it really ties back nicely to the why and the core principles of blockchain. So if you haven't listened to our blockchain episode, scroll back to our feed. I think it's episode one, where we touch on what is blockchain and what its core principles are. The three core principles that we see the blockchain is aiming to solve is one, immutability, two is decentralization, and three is transparency. Now, if we tie this back to Web 3.0, immutability will be things like digital ownership of your NFTs, digital assets, your images, your content, your art, if you're an artist. And the second part is decentralization. And this is where things like decentralized finance come in. So we have an episode on that on our feed as well. And also DAOs, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, which we haven't spoken about yet, but we will get into in this episode. And the third thing is transparency and privacy. And this is how blockchain can take back the power from these big corporations like Facebook, Google, who are using your data to resell to advertisers. So there's a lot to unpack here. So why don't we just start with you, Trace, and maybe talk about how it works with immutability, digital ownerships. Yeah, a great example to share here so that we can all really understand how this works is through artists. 
And through the blockchain technology and smart contracts, Web 3.0 introduces digital property rights. For the first time ever, we have true digital property rights on the internet, which is pretty amazing. And these come in the form of an NFT. So artists, musicians, photographers, and even film producers can now create bits of property or art through NFTs and launch projects. With NFTs, the entire royalty component has changed and they no longer get just a small share of the revenue. With a smart contract and Ethereum as the world computer, you can set things that happen automatically. And when the work is sold again and again, the artist then receives the income from the secondary sales. So this is all done automatically via code written into a smart contract, and these are attached to NFTs. So no trust is needed in accountants or companies or an agent. So this is pretty amazing. And that's a really good use case for upcoming artists and people who are getting involved in this space. But also, I mean, for the... Um, for the gamers out there, I mean, there's a really good use case with NFTs and Web 3.0 in gaming. We touched on this in our gaming episode a little bit, but now you can actually sell assets in the game to move to another game. For example, you know, I don't know how many people play Fortnite that are listening to this, but um, you can now buy a Fortnite skin, a Fortnite leopard skin, um, get sick of Fortnite, sell it for half an Ethereum jump over to Minecraft and buy another skin with that Ethereum. So you now you're owning your own digital asset within the game. Whereas now it's, you know, you buy it on Fortnite, you can't sell it. It's sort of stuck in that siloed ecosystem and that's kind of it. So it's, it's crazy to think like what sort of secondary market and ecosystem this will create. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So that's digital ownership of assets. And the second part, as we know, is decentralization. And this relates to DAOs and DeFi. So, Blake, can you touch on, on this world for us? Yeah. A, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, which is a bit of a, a crazy name, um, but it's a really core component to Web3. And it allows people to organize um, with one another on the internet without trusting one another. DAOs have a few really key components we, we need to be aware of. The first one is that they have a goal or a purpose that they're working towards, kind of like a company vision or a company goal. An example of this could be, you know, a group of people get together and they want to build a blockchain or want to do a charity project and they could create a DAO to organize themselves. The second component of a DAO is that there's an incentive mechanism, such as a token, where participants get rewarded for contributing to the DAO. And this is really important to give back to the people that are helping you, helping the DAO achieve its goal. And the third component that makes a DAO really important is the governance framework. So members generally can vote on the direction of the DAO, and it's very democratic. Instead of for example, with a company where the direction would come from the board and then the CEO and then the managers, a DAO allows anyone that's participating in the DAO to vote on which projects or which tasks should be collectively worked on together. And whichever projects win the vote are the ones that are allocated capital and the ones that are allocated resources. And in this sense, it is very democratic. The way that a DAO works is really based off something called the Byzantine Generals problem, 
or it particularly in particular it solves the byzantine generals problem for organizing people on the internet but we can um, deep dive into this um, in our you know dow episode that we have planned it's such a big topic and it has so many implications that we just want to give it um, the time that it deserves yeah i think that sounds like a good idea because you know experts say that we could reach a point where every company on the internet is run by a dow at some point so yeah let's let's definitely delve into that in another episode craig do you want to touch on on DeFi for us decentralized finance we do a deep dive on this in another previous episode so if you haven't heard of that just scroll up on our feed and take a listen but decentralized finance is being your own bank um, lending borrowing parking your cash in a decentralized way there's no credit checks no license all you need is to log in with your ethereum wallet and get involved Um, and this really optimizes the onboarding process compared to web 2 whereas web 2 you'd need to provide all this data prove that you can pay it back provide you know a lot of a lot of middlemen are involved in that procedure and those middlemen make that whole process very expensive and time consuming um, and it touches a lot of regulation as well yeah and i think another really big aspect of web 3.0 to touch on is digital identity you know privacy you know becomes the name of the game with this side of things it's sort of the third point of web 3 that really ties back into the blockchain quite nicely is that you know web 3 your identity is not a hundred percent connected to your browser history to your email to the cookies that are tracking you on the internet when you're looking at websites and, you know, it's tracked back to your Ethereum address instead, which may be craig.eth or whatever I want it to be. And, you know, instead of signing up to a new website or a new game or a new social media platform, we could get to a time where instead of connecting your Google account, you will just connect your Ethereum wallet to interact with the platform. Similar to how OpenSea works now. With OpenSea, you're just connecting your Ethereum wallet and away you go. Yeah, exactly right. And it's going to be really fascinating how this space evolves. And our whole identity um, will one day be verified online. In a nutshell, what Web 3.0 means is in the next few years, you might be able to purchase items through your MetaMask account, which is your wallet holding your Ethereum, and pay using your Ethereum. You might also be able to interact with one of your friend's posts anonymously through one of these wallets. It's not going to be a massive change right away, but more a series of small ideas that come together as we slowly move away from these centralised companies such as Facebook and Google while these DAOs become more popular. Blake and Craig, what do you guys want to give me as your final thoughts on this and where do you think we could be headed? I think that's really interesting, particularly that you mentioned Facebook there in your last point, because Facebook has foreseen you know the change in the internet coming, and they've you know as we know they've re- recently rebranded to Meta, which is the metaverse, and um, which will metaverses will be a key component of Web three. So there's many people moving in this position and in this direction, and even Jack Dorsey from Twitter. He's a you know, very famous Web2 entrepreneur and now he's recently resigned from Twitter to move on to Web3 projects. So the biggest companies and some of the smartest you know, people in the world are you know, starting to build out you know, this, this Web3. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. But I think which projects and what I th- where I think it's headed, I think Ethereum 
is prime to take advantage of this world and you know it's got the most developers it's already the most used blockchain smart contract platform around and you know i was thinking about this the other day like how do you price something like ethereum like what do you compare ethereum to as a normal asset like it's quite hard to to think about you know with bitcoin you compare it to gold you compare it to silver safe haven assets how do you value that it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, you, you just got to look at something too like MetaMask. That's now got 21 million monthly active users. I mean, that's huge. It shows where we're going with this. And then again, this is this has come out the last four years, essentially. You know, mm. it's pretty impressive adoption rate. There's so much here to explore. And um, basically what's being built is a, is a new internet and with possibilities that we haven't previously seen. And that's it for today's episode. Please keep the questions coming and let us know what you want to know about crypto and send us an email at podcast at getbamboo.io or follow us on social media. For all those details, they're in the show notes below. And don't forget to rate and review us in your podcast app. That's it for us today. I'm Tracy. I'm Blake. I'm Craig. See you later, guys. See you later. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.